You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. So I'm finally living by myself, getting a lot of, you know, that little extra me time in between work and everything else. Not that there is much of everything else right now since my fiance and friends and family are all back on the East Coast. And uh, while it's nice to have a little bit of that there, while I'm missing everyone, I'm getting a lot of time to be more introspective than I typically am. And uh, I've been also thinking of topics for the show, and since some of you think that some of my topics aren't so serious, I thought I'd probably jump to probably the only topic that really matters in life, which is what happens when you die. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about death. But I really didn't want to have to talk about death alone. I went ahead and brought on my good friends, Logan Albright and Mike Fuse from The Last Call podcast, which I will link to the show in the show notes. So you can go check out Logan and Mike, Mike and Logan, my two good buds from many years after the program. But we're talking about religion. We're talking about things that you might think might not shock you coming from me, but may shock you positively, may shock you negatively. But I think this conversation is something that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about our belief systems. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about what we believe happens after you die, because ultimately that's the one thing that everybody now, tomorrow, and in the past has in common. We're all either dead or dying or going to die very soon or very late, but we might as well talk about how thinking of that or not thinking about that affects how we live. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Logan, are you seriously a pagan? Yeah, I identify as a pagan. It's something I've kind of come to over the last few years after like exploring all the different religions and figuring out which ones work best for me. Like... When I say pagan, I'm talking like old world gods go out in the forest and like sacrifice something to like a tree. Like, what are we actually talking about here? There's a lot of different varieties. Very few modern pagans sacrifice anything that's sort of not done anymore. Um, There's, you know, Wicca is the most common variety of modern paganism. I call myself a pagan pantheist, which pantheism is like the belief that the whole world and universe is part of what divinity is and that there's not really a distinction between creator and creation. It's all, it's all God basically. And, uh, but there's lots of polytheists in my groups that I hang out with and people who believe in the the Greek gods or whatever, or, you know, treat those as avatars of some, uh, divine forces, but there's, there's, it's a very diverse religion. There's a lot of different ways of approaching it. I just, I feel like I fit more closely into that than any other label. So is it like a pick and choose what you want type of deal or is it like different sects like in Christianity? Like Mike, you're Catholic and me, I'm, I'm, I'm Protestant. 
because I've jumped between denominations between because like the United Methodist Church lost their shit like a year ago. So now I've just been kind of like church hopping for a while. But like with paganism, it's like every, I've met a couple people that identify as that. It's it's always something a little bit different. Is it just because they choose to go in a different direction or is it because they're like different schools of thought? There are different schools of thought, but it's kind of by its nature eclectic because the history of modern paganism derives from largely an organization called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was an English society in the 19th century. And they kind of cobbled together their occult system through Jewish mysticism and Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology and all these different systems. So it's sort of fundamentally eclectic and people often do kind of pick and choose the aspects that appeal to them. But there are certainly divided schools. There's there's Wicca, which is the most common, and there's like five different types of Wicca at least. There's the like northern, what they call heathen or Asatru religions, which are like the Norse gods, things like that. Um, there's all kinds of regional varieties depending on what kind of system of mythology you grew up with. Celtic or Hawaiian or all these different things, um, but yeah, it, it tends to be kind of eclectic. Would you reject? Would you reject that it's just fancy agnosticism? Would that like it's or more intellectual form of agnosticism, or would you reject that? Say so that's not correct. I, I'm, you get some pagans who are certainly probably agnostic. I'm pretty close on that spectrum myself, but you definitely have more who are much more hard polytheists who actually believe in all these different gods. And, you know, it just depends on who you're talking to. It's, it's such an umbrella term because the, the term pagan just was come from Latin and it means country dweller. And they just mean used the word pagan to refer to anybody who wasn't Christian, basically anybody who followed the old traditions before Christianity came to Rome. And so it's a very broad term. You see, Mike, I hear Logan explain all of that. And then like my Protestant Christian mind, I almost think that you and him have a lot in common. I feel that Logan <laughs> has a, <laughs> maybe a, of heart, you know, I, I'm going to take that compliment. I'm going to take that as a compliment and swing it to align me and Logan there. I think Logan has a heart or at least perceived a heart for tradition or the ways of, you know, Hey, Thousands of years, people came up with these certain things. They seems like a pretty good idea. Tradition is the democracy of the dead. Um, maybe there's something to having some kind of tradition or even ritual that gives, you know, I on my side, you know, in Christianity, we always say, oh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, I, I hate it when people say that. I like, I am religious and I like ritual. So in the Catholics, yes, we're very ritual. <laughs> There's actually a story. There's a famous couple that went to, it was like, I forgot their names. They were card carrying Marxists from Britain. And this was probably in the sixties and gosh, I'm going to look up their names. It's, um, I'm blanking on right now, but the husband was a, an anthropologist and they went to Africa and they actually found one, of, I guess, a pagan religion of Africa, right? Where it was very ritualistic and they fell in love with it. And when they came back, they really actually wanted to join the pagan religion but they couldn't so what did they do they became catholic <laughs> <laughs> so it's like i forgot who they are they're like famous I mean, they're lefties but i, I forgot, i'll i'll think of their name but um so i guess the closest thing it's very ritualistic that's what they wanted yeah how, i just came back from a, uh, a summer solstice ritual today where we just got together for the first time in like a year and a half in person and uh, did a little ritual to celebrate the longest day of the year so that was pretty cool 
Yeah, no, I, I, I find it funny how quickly this has just touched on so many different things. The, the reason why I wanted uh, both of you to come on is uh, because I've been accused of talking about a lot of not serious topics recently. So I thought I'd jump to probably the only question that matters, which is what happens when you die? And I'm actually glad that people are asking this question. Like when I've been having those few opportunities, especially before I moved to Wisconsin to actually sit down and have a drink of somebody in person, you know, after a few minutes go by and a couple of drinks go in, you start getting into like the real weird esoteric questions that, you know, you only have in like deep conversation. And that's something I've heard, you know, at least four or five people in the last, you know, month and a half bring up at some point. It's like, you know, I just wonder what my purpose is right now. I, I wonder if we're in like a simulation. I love that people are now saying like, we got to break the simulation, man. But over the past year and a half with COVID and everything else, I think that this has become like an odd, oddly spiritual time in at least in American culture, whether we want to say it out loud or not. And by spiritual, I'm using it very vaguely because people are actually starting to question why things happen, why things happen the way they do, and whether or not at all has meaning. And as somebody that does believe in a Christian worldview and everything else, while people might not find that as their answer, I'm glad that at least they're asking the question. Because when people jump into strictly a secular mindset, while that might be their choice, I believe it, it leads to a lot of questions that will give them answers that they won't ultimately be satisfied with. So with, with that said, uh, Mike Logan, on your podcast, you talk policy, you talk news and everything else. But do you ever feel like just talking politics misses on the big question as to why we want to believe in the things that we do? Because I believe that politics, faith, whatever you want to call it, while we try and separate them, they almost always end up running into each other at one point. Logan, well, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, like, I agree that politics is a very narrow subset of things we could talk about, and we try to get very philosophical on our podcast and talk about other things. I love to talk about religion. I think religion is a totally fascinating subject, and I've been obsessed with it forever. So I think that's really important to talk about. But I'm interested in your initial statement where you said, what happens after we die is the only thing that matters. And I'm curious to know why you think that. Why does it matter so much? Because for me, at least... It's always been like, if I think, I think it's kind of like a, a reflective statement. It's like how we die should help us dictate how we live and hopefully how we live will direct us in a better death because those are the only things that are certain in life. One, we're going to live for how long we're going to live. Nobody really knows. It's not really something that we can dictate, but we can choose how we choose to live. And then, you know, in terms of what we believe happens when you die, that you know, has an inverse effect because it, you know, it's like a chicken or the egg scenario. So I've, I've always come to this idea that, you know, there, there's got to be something after death. And for me, I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I think a lot of people don't like to talk about hell, but hell is actually one of the few things that like deeply scares me in life. And, um, you know, that is how I direct the course of how I choose to live. And other people, you know, like my grandmother is Buddhist. She'll, she'll never be Christian. I'm okay with that. Like, I've, I've accepted that. But, you know, at least for her and other people like her, at least knowing how they're going to, you know, how they're going to die and what happens after death, at least the, the fact that she has a belief system after that also dictates her actions. 
And I mean, I would say the same thing for an atheist too. They believe that, you know, if, if you're going to die and that's it, you should try and live the best life you possibly can. And I think for them, okay, that's a good way to live as long as you're trying to live peacefully amongst other people. But I think for a good majority of society in the United States, whether we have a belief in one of those things or not, I think a lot of people try and live their lives avoiding it because it's a really difficult topic. And over the past year and a half, when you've looked at COVID, when you've looked at all these other crazy things that have happened that have been touching all of us, it's been one of those questions that we have to ask ourselves probably more often now than ever before. And while it's not a comfortable thing for people, I think it's something that if we don't ever address seriously at some point, we're, we're going to end up in, you know, in a, in a bad mental space and a bad emotional space and a bad spiritual space. And I'm, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be like the guy who just wants to talk about death, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know what, this shouldn't be something we just avoid. I feel like this is uh this is a conversation of avoidance for a lot of people. So I hope that answers it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that I would change how I live based on my beliefs about what happens after how I die. Full disclosure, I don't really have a strong belief about this, so I'm here to kind of play devil's advocate for you two um, because <laughs> I genuinely, I don't think anybody does, but I mean, I certainly don't know what happens after you die, but I can't imagine that whatever I thought it was going to be would change how I live my life. I think I would live it the same either way. Now, but Logan, you also, we've talked about this. I don't know if we've recorded it on a podcast, but you have your like death app on your phone or I'm not What the fuck? Like what? daily daily quotes on death. Oh yeah, so is, you there like do. A, is there you like a Memento Mori thing? That's what yeah, I'm about it, to bring up Memento Mori. I okay. love Memento Mori. That's Sorry. exactly what it is. It's a uh, it's called We Croak, and it's an app that gives you. <laughs> it's an app that gives you five quotes about death every day to uh, just kind of get you thinking about your own mortality a little bit. Which wait you know, five the, a day? Yeah, it comes from a Buddhist uh, system of saying that if you contemplate death five times a day, you'll be happy. Now, Logan, what does, um, in your mind, so if if death or what happened, I guess the, maybe the asterisk is what happens after death wouldn't change how you lived your life. But reflecting on death seems to be important to you. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I do think that I agree with Rimzo that we kind of avoid the topic as a as a society and we think it's uncomfortable. I think death is so natural and like universal that it's something that we should think about and talk about and be aware of and be a little bit less negative on, you know, I mean, it's a transformational process. It leads from one stage of, of existence into another stage of existence or non-existence, depending on your belief. And, uh, you know, we should be okay with that because it's like, we can't change it. So it's something that I think is worth considering and thinking about and talking about and not creating this big taboo around it. Yeah. I think uh, to your point, Remzo, we should reflect on it more. And I, believe it will make us more happy if we if we reflect on our death more the what happens part um i do think it's important especially as a christian but i think the just reflecting on the fact that we do that we will die because i it is the most important question in a way because i think it's a very dull life to ignore it because death forces you to ask additional questions reflecting on death or questioning death what happens you then have to ask like who are we why are we here What's our purpose here? That because if you if you accept and reflect on like I have a finite amount of time and you don't just ignore that or try to tuck it into the back of the mind, that is going to start. You are going to then going to have to ask the question. 
Why am I here? What purpose am I put here? And those, and who are we as human beings? And that's, I think we're the real, I think that's where eventually people were always seeking happiness. Um, it's the great human pursuit. Um, and I don't think you can successfully find happiness if you don't reflect on those questions. Um, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I just think those questions you raised, who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose in life? What should we do with the time we have? Those are the big questions. To me, I just don't think that what happens afterwards really matters too much for those questions. That's true. I think hopefully for Christians, obviously, as we accept, we're made the, you know, the answer, you know, the typical Baltimore catechists or whatever you want to call it, whatever the catechism was, you know, why, you know, what's our purpose in life? I was made to know, love and serve God. Like that's what you learn as a little kid. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. Like we're made, we believe we're made for God and to live, to live a life for God will hopefully direct us to heaven. Now it's, it's just shallow spirituality. If the only reason you love God is to avoid hell, um, it would work, but even like the great, you know, medieval doctors of the church, as we call them, uh, we'll call that the most shallowest of spirituality to just, it's almost a, it's a true fear of God. I fear pain. So I'll love you. Like that's super shallow form of spirituality. They say it'll work. Um, but the idea of the afterlife, like I complete happiness to the Christian is to be in the presence of God. Like that like there is no true happiness everything is fleeting like you can have the perfect sunset on the beach i just came back from the beach the perfect breeze with your family and friends and loved ones and think like oh, i'm really happy and you are kind of happy but you're still not happy and to us true happiness will be in the full presence of christ of god um and so then the, the question is at what happens once we die there's in the Catholic faith and we can take it down here or just, just, we kind of define it in four steps. It's death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Um, there's two sub steps in there, but I am not a theologian. I want to be careful. I don't become a heresy on a podcast. But you've or got the beard though. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be a heretic. There's way smarter people <laughs> than I, um, but essentially for us after death, it's, um, as a Catholic, we believe in purgatory. Remzo, you don't believe in it, but oh, you know. I I want to <laughs> I, I want to touch on that real fast though. I think I do, but you want to know something weird? I will tell I will tell you why. But I I just need to reemphasize this. Do you believe in purgatory? I do. Do you know Catholics that don't? Um, I'm sure there are because I mean, there's only. 70% of Catholics, according to Pew Research, so take that for what it is, they're usually pretty good, don't believe in the Eucharist as Catholics believe in it. So it leaves 30%. So I'm like, it's the whole point of being Catholic. Um, so I'm sure there are. I, that's not a, a subject that comes up too much. Maybe that's because we avoid talking about death. Um, I do fully believe in purgatory. I, I think I, and this this bothers a lot of people like I went to Liberty with, like, it's one of those things where it's like, you might as well just be saying like the, the most outlandish thing, but I, I came to believe in purgatory, not through necessarily substantial research, but through experience and, you know, whether, whether people believe in it or not, you know, when, when I was filming the last three seasons of my show, the witching hour, um, I, I came to kind of like a crossroads in terms of trying to understand what I was dealing with, because both outcomes lead to big, like steep theological questions. For the longest time, I thought everything I'm dealing with that is causing this supernatural and paranormal activity is obviously demonic. 
Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. It's, you know, it's one of those things that we're told not to do. Do not consort with demons or truth or soothsayers or any of those people who speak with the dead. So that was what I was going into it with is this is all demonic. But then over time, there was a part of me that, you know, began to kind of change on that. And I began to really think, what if I'm encountering actually the disembodied soul or essence or presence of a human being? And through kind of tilting my belief towards the fact that that could be something that was in the, within the realm of possibility, I began to look into purgatory, and I genuinely believe that purgatory is on earth. Yeah, um, the way we look at it, for purgatory, a lot of Protestants joke, it's like, oh, it's a waiting room. Um, the purpose of purgatory, if you if you die in full love of God or fully love, if you fully die fully loving God, you'll go straight to heaven. That's a Catholic belief. Mm-hmm. If you die in God's love, but you were still attached to some sin. You go to purgatory because your soul is not ready for the presence of God. You're going to heaven, but you this attachment to some sin. And there's a story um, that was told. I heard it from a priest that's pretty popular, Father Mike Schmitz. Um, he's very popular in Catholic circles um, of a, a convent. Uh, lots of uh, convents where nuns live. So most nuns are pretty dang old. Um, and one of the nuns, uh, her job, the nuns have very simple jobs within the convent. Her job was caring for like the sewing room, or maybe that's like the arts and craft room. And she had passed away uh, several years ago and they kind of left the room alone. No one was really that interested in sewing, I guess. At the purgatory. And then they decided we were going to tear it down and build something new um, or refurbish it. Um, and every time, once that decision was made, every time they at night when they locked the door, the next morning it would be unlocked. Everything would be disordered, like blown across the room. The nuns were a little freaked out. So they called a priest, a non-exorcist priest. Um, and he rolled in. He's like, all right, well, let's just say a mass here um, in this room. So he sets up to say mass. And at a certain part of the mass during the Our Father, all the candles went out. And this priest was a little shooken. And it was like, I'm not interested and left like not my purview. Um, so they called in an exorcist. So an exorcist in the Catholic church is trained for years. It's heavy stuff. Um, and he comes in, he hears everything. He does the mass. The same thing happens. Um, and it's at the, our father where it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us or trespass against us. The candles went out and he was like, this nun is in purgatory. We're going to say 30 masses in 30 days in this room. Oh my gosh. Um, she's trying to get your attention because she needs prayers because prayers can speed up your time in purgatory. That's why we as Catholics pray for the dead. Cause we believe if we pray, it'll help expedite the su- This purgatory is suffering. The, the Bible, the verse we get for it in the Bible is first Corinthians uh, three, uh, 11 through 15, where it talks about burning away the straw. And that's like our most plain text. You see, um, I, I know that, and it's so interesting you came to that conclusion because I can't say you're wrong in how you see that. I don't, I, don't, I might not see it the same exact way yeah. as you, but I understand where you're coming with that. Yeah. And I so they asked that question like, is it is it heretical to believe in ghosts if you're a Christian? Because either you're in heaven or hell or purgatory. So how can you be a ghost as well? But is that what, what the theory is that ghosts are people who are in purgatory? Go, that is primarily the theory. They're either demonic. Um, spirits. So, I mean, like or in, they in the are Old Testament. You see purgatory. a lot of. I mean, like the Old Testament specifically. You, you, I mean, they do talk about ghosts. 
I mean, um, there, there are several prophets that come back in a way where, you know, some they call it a vision, but, you know, if you have this idea that this dead guy is talking to you in almost a physical form, the only conclusion is that's a ghost, at least in yeah. like the definition of it. You used well, to yeah, have the Holy Ghost, but now it's called the Holy Spirit. Less spooky, I suppose. And in the Old Testament, before Christ came, the way the tradition goes for the non-Christians out there, no one was getting to heaven. It was, you know, Dante's Inferno is probably the best, maybe the most articulate description. And it was almost like a holding room for the people destined for heaven. And once Christ rebridged the link between us and God, then those, you know, in favor could then go to heaven is the way the tradition was with the Old Testament. Um, there's another, uh, actually near Pittsburgh, a Dominican Oh, I'm uh, sorry, did the, did, did the nun move on? Yeah, so after 30 days of mass on the on the 30th day the our father every day all 29 days the candles went out at the same point in the our father where it was forgive so the priest's hypothesis was she has was holding on she was unwilling to forgive someone who had wronged her and because of that she was holding on to a sin her soul was not ready for the presence of god and on the 30th day they got through the our father and the entire mass without the candles going out and the hope was the theory was, or, you know, they believe they had gotten her out of purgatory into heaven. Um, and no one knows how long you're in purgatory for, you know, we are hypothesis. It's not even defined if it's a place or a state. The church has never ruled on that. Is it a state or is it a place? No, there's no official teaching on that. Um, so I do fully believe And there's another, there's a Dominican um, con, uh, monastery outside Pittsburgh where there's actually a, a uh, Dominican friar had passed away and his handprint is actually burned onto his handprint after his death appeared on his door to his room, like burned on. And they believe that was also like a plea for help. I'm in purgatory. There's suffering there. Like I'm, well, I'm being cleansed to go to, you know, I mean, when there's a, when there's like, you know, something burning involved, I'm not thinking of purgatory. Necessarily. Yeah, well, pur- pur- purgatory is cleansing fires is the way it's described by the church. So I feel bad for all the Protestants who are going to wake up and be like, oh, no. I'm like, that's all right. It's just it's purgatory. <laughs> Dude, you, you, know, you know what the strangest thing about it is? Like, I, I have I have a lot of, like, I, I was, I've was I I've told you this, Mike, but, um, you know, like, my, my father's Catholic and I was baptized Catholic. And I, I came to things through a very, like, the, the, more I, the more I meet more people and talk about it, the more I realize it's actually not that rare, but like, you know, I went through like an atheist phase of just full rejection. And then when I found myself like falling back into religion, it just has so happened that I think probably it was because I feel like the, the Methodists in my community kind of just took me in that I was a bit more susceptible to it. And that's why I ultimately went to Liberty, which is a Southern Baptist school. But I mean, ultimately it's, it's always come to this difference in, you know, the, the things that I, I tend to think about, it. and it's kind of selfish in that way because I don't want any, I don't want a single church to like, you know, fit all my beliefs and all my little quirks specifically. That's not fair. That's not how it works, but it's how I typically am. It's why I'm still kind of church shopping here. Like I was telling a friend, it's like, I'll go to the Lutherans next week. And I'll go to reform there and I'll go to the Baptists there and I'll see who has the better potluck and we'll just make it work. But <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those situations where at least like with, with, um, you know, with Anglicanism, with Catholicism, you know, Protestants make fun of it sometimes because of all the tradition and all the repetition. But I, I think I've I've grown to the point where it's like I almost feel like that's more needed than than not because it's like you know 
there, there's a reason why those exist. It's how it's passed down. It's how it's understood to like the least of us from like the most learned about all this to the, like the most ignorant person. And, you know, it's like when, when I look at things like paganism, Logan, for my friends I've met who are like, you know, white witches and stuff like that. That's where I kind of see it. It's like, you know, they don't just do all this stuff because they believe like they're casting spells and they're doing like all what I consider like completely heretical type of shit. It's because at least to them, it's how they feel a deeper connection to things. And it's what helps them make the most sense of what they're trying to experience. And I yeah. think with a lot of like Christians right now, particularly in like the more like evangelical space, that's why in when COVID happened and all the churches kind of closed down, you saw a lot of them who just kind of like drifted out of religion. They had like a full rejection of religion. But then for those that still, you know, really claimed to kind of be more religious when the churches opened back up, they didn't even show back up. Yeah, I mean, I think that the quote I like to say a lot is, is that there are many paths to the top of the mountain. And that everybody's kind of searching for the same thing and people have different ways of finding it and finding good ideas where they can get them. Like it's easy to make fun of eclecticism and say, oh, people are just picking and choosing and there's no consistency, but like nobody really knows. Right. And so it makes sense to me to shop around a little and look at all the ideas that the different cultures have, which are often shockingly similar. Like you look at something like Hinduism and like their ideas are very similar to a lot of the Western ideas as well. And, um, you know, find out what makes sense to you and go from there. Um, and But, you know, you say we don't cast spells. It's, it's heretical to cast spells. Like Mike just described a situation where you performed a ceremony 30 no, times in a row no, to get rid of a ghost. It's That's different. a spell, man. It's no, the same it's thing. it's different. It is so different. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you tried to do there. And it's no. the same thing, Rimzo. No. We're just a mediator in ours. The, the priest has no power. It's all, he's just a mediator through God. Like confession. The priest doesn't forgive your sins in the Catholic church. He just sits in the place of God there. The priest has no power. Okay, Logan. Now, now since, now since you've just gone, gone ahead and like flipped the table on that. Okay. Do you, do you cast spells? Certainly. I don't do it very often. There's not that much I want but yeah, uh, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I look at it kind of the okay, same like what way. Are, what are, what are, what are, what, like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Look at it kind of the same way as you guys look at it. You know, it's like, you're, it's almost like a prayer. You're, you're asking for help with something and yeah, it doesn't necessarily come from within me. It comes from within whatever power I'm tapping into in the universe. Is this but, like an energy? Did you view it? Would you describe yeah, it as like an energy? It's sort of a manipulation of hidden energies. Um, like the force? A little bit. Yeah. A okay. little bit like the force. But I like I think it's not that dissimilar to what you guys are talking about. Do you believe there's like a central, like, like a central power in the universe, like a spiritual central power, like, and something that's all seen, or do you think there's just many? Like, there's a no. I, I think it's plurality. Confused. I think it's, it's confused. confused throughout everything. I don't think I wouldn't say plurality either. Either I'd say it's just spread out over everything. Uh, isn't kind of isn't that kind of like, like these... what Thoreau believed? It's like there is there is God in everything. Like there's God in the trees, and there's God yes. in the rocks, and that yes. type of thing. Yes, Thoreau was a pantheist as well, and yeah, it's this idea that there's this kind of hidden energy running through everything, and that it's all divine, and that it's all connected, and it's it's uh, similar to uh, the Hindu idea of Brahman, which is this monist idea that everything is part of the same thing, and that kind of duality and and separateness is an illusion. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Interesting, right? I don't know how to respond to that. I'm, I'm trying to just let that sink like, in. I mean, there is a con- I, I do believe there's like a connectedness of things, even in the Christian tradition. I, I would say connectedness, but not embodiment. 
No. Yeah. Like if I if I go and cut down a tree, I'm not cutting down part of God. That's where you that's, get into like yeah. that's where you get into like the the Gaia beliefs. It's like each time you do something that develops over nature, you're killing a part of the the natural essence that connects you to the universe. Well, and I wouldn't I look say at that. that. I'm like fuck the tree. Well, yeah, but you're part of. <laughs> you want to cut down a tree now? Too, yeah, right? now I'll cut down a tree. You're using that tree for some purpose, and you're part of. You're just as much a part of God as the tree is a part of God, and so it's. It's just transferring it from one part of. I mean, it's, it's all the same. It's all part of the same thing, and so you're I, not, I, I would argue because look at the person. Now you know I cut down the tree for a purpose. I use it to create a bunch of like paper for a Xerox machine. They're like, oh, you're just wasting it. They go ahead and cut it down to you know print out a bunch of leaflets for like you know. Burning Man or something, and it's different. I don't think they, they, they put more they put more intention into things. I don't know that it's that different. That's an interesting thought, though. That like, oh, you're part of God; it's part of God. So as long as it's using, because that's kind of a I don't know if I like that logic. That follows, and a bit, this is just I'm shooting from the hip, just as it initially hits my mind. It's like, yeah, you could follow. I my initial thought is, can you follow that all the way to like genocide a little bit, like? <laughs> Like, oh, so we need to kill a million people to save the world, right? So they're part of God. I'm part of God. The world's part of God. And then we knock those million off and we make utopia. That's I some mean, Thanos yeah. stuff. Like they, they called me a man. <laughs> it may surprise you to learn that I'm not going to defend genocide on this call. I know. I know. I'm, I'm shocked. Look, I mean, the most anti-collectivist person I know. I'm just trying yeah. to see if I can find a little collectivist in you. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it follows from that logic that, you know, there's still suffering. Suffering still exists, right? And so like creating suffering or depriving people of their chance to live when like, that's all they have is their chance to live. Like it's, it's awful. You know? So I don't think that's defensible on any grounds. No. Logan, how'd you become a pagan? Um, it was a gradual process. I've been interested in religion and spirituality forever. And I've read a bunch about it. And I like, I, I knew about the major religions and I never, they never spoke to me. They never connected with me. I couldn't find a way to believe them. Um, and I started reading about um, paganism and druidry and a bunch of things like that. And it made a lot more sense. Druids. To I found it a very libertarian kind of uh, mindset of live and let live. And I really liked it. And I started hanging out with some folks who were into it and uh, reading lots of books and gradually came around to it, basically. Do pagans, would any pagan believe that there is an objective spiritual truth to the world? Obviously, you know, gravity and certain scientific truths, but like, a objective spiritual or moral truth. Sheets I think it's better than Wawa. And where does think, that objective moral truth come from? I think most probably, I mean, I don't want to speak for other people because I don't know, but yeah. I think most pagans would believe in some kind of objective spiritual truth. It may be personalized in like how you approach it, but I think that, you know, they believe that what they believe is true. It's true in an objective sense. Like, or, or do, you, do you believe like, I believe there's like a truth that's true for everyone. Yeah. And we're all trying to figure it out and we might never, but it's out there. Like it's, you can't even personalize it. Like there's something that's 100, but there's a spiritual, moral, objective truth that is universal and you'd have to discover it. And to me, that's God. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I believe that I don't want to speak for other people, yeah. but I think that there is an objective spiritual truth and I don't know what it is, but I think we're all trying to get cl as close to it as we can. And we may, we're all probably skirting around the edges of it, but we, it looks very different to us because we're on opposite sides of the, the truth that we're not quite hitting the center of. We're not quite hitting the bullseye of. That, that's one of those things that also causes like, I think a lot of people to 
stop the conversation about what they what they believe, how they believe things work. It's because when you start getting into like the objective truth side of stuff, that's also like where the where the where the book kind of closes on that. It's like death that that you know people have like hard beliefs on that and then when it gets like the objective truth part it's like they they don't want they don't even want to state what they objectively believe yeah i mean one and, of my I issues always found that frustrating one of my issues with christianity is the certainty of it i had a, a woman approach me not too long ago who wanted me to come to church with her and uh, was trying to convert me and i was explaining to her my beliefs and saying you know i'm i'm a spiritual person too and i'm trying to get to the same thing you are and there are many paths to the top of the mountain and she got really upset and was like no you have to be a christian that's the only way there's only one way to god and if you don't do it my way it's the highway and i'm like how do you know that it's just such an arrogant perspective from my opinion i like let i just read um a little while ago i read the autobiography of a yogi that classic spiritual text and one of the things i loved about it was that the hindus were like super open to other religions. They're like, we're doing our thing. We're meditating. We're trying to get closer to God. And there's these Christian mystics and they're doing the same thing and they're awesome. And there's these Muslim mystics and they're doing the same thing and they're great. And we can all like go our own path and try to get to the same destination. Um, and we don't need to impose it on anybody else. And I just, I don't know, I don't get the impulse to say this is the only way. And if you don't do it, you're going to burn forever. Yeah. I think that's where I'll disagree with you. And I assumed you would. Yeah, I mean, like, like here's the other thing that bothers me. It's like, you know, in this situation, and you, you are 100% clear conscious in what you believe, and I completely respect you for that. You've been my friend for many years, but I have to disagree with you on that. Because if I did agree with you that that was the case, I would be pulling a complete 180 on my own belief system and theology. And I'm not going to sound like a dick. I'm not going to say you're going to hell, Logan. But what I am going to say is I also have great faith in God that he guides us on our own directions. And it's always going to be towards him through Christ. That's my cop out. That's my polite That's cop fair out. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not going to push oh, you on it. Yeah. But, you know. What I believe is the Catholic Church. Me and Logan are both going to hell. Is, <laughs> no, no, so th th this is the big difference between Catholics and Protestants. And I'm not saying all Protestants. I, I, I won't say that because I can't speak for all of them. But what I've found in my experience is Protestants are more bold in judging the soul of another individual. Like, <laughs> you're going to hell or this person is going to hell. They're not shy about it. <laughs> I, went I can't to, say you're wrong. <laughs> I went to a little Southern Baptist school from first to eighth grade. And I have a vivid uh. memory of being in chapel day, which was on Thursdays. And it must've been like fourth grade and you're just sitting there. And you know, one of the teachers gives up and gets you a little talk or the pastor from the school comes in and they're holding up pictures of these people. And all I remember is one was Bill Gates, which a lot of people were like, well, that's true. Um, Cause people really hate Bill Gates right now. They're like, what, what do all these people have in common? And I'm like, I don't know. Like they're all going to hell. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> even that like sat wrong with me in like fourth grade. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Um, Catholics were very firm in judging actions, right? Like this, you're putting your soul in jeopardy by this action where your soul's destined. We have no say in, we don't know that is up to God alone. I do believe the Catholic church is the path to the truth. And we have a monopoly on the truth. Now there are certain parts that the other sects get partially right and partially true, but in our tradition, God, you know, in the Bible says, Peter upon this rock, I build my church. We hold Peter as the first Pope. Uh, the gates of hell shall not, um, you know, will not succeed against it, will not conquer it, whatever the exact verse is. I'm not as good of my scripture as Protestants, even though I was educated by Protestants. But if you also look at the history of the Catholic Church, we've got enough corruptions for all eternity and enough things. And the well, fact that, that we're still around is like, 
it's kind of crazy. Like, what, what's that story about? I, I don't know what king it was, but this one European king, like before uh, the, the Protestant Reformation, everything was like, how do I destroy the Catholic Church? And and his Catholic priest advisor was like, sir, us priests have been destroyed or have been trying to destroy the Catholic Church for centuries, and that we still was, haven't been able to do it. That was actually Napoleon. So after the it Reformation, and it was oh, okay. Napoleon threatening a cardinal, and he's like, I can destroy the church in a day, and the Cardinal responded, the bishops have been trying to destroy the church for 1800 years and we haven't succeeded yet. Oh, that, that is hilarious. And there's, there's an old story too. I think it's a joke. We're like, there's a guy in England who's converting to Catholicism and the priest has put him through all the, you know, ours, you know, you know, all his lessons on how to become Catholic, his formation. And, but he's a very intelligent banker and finance guy. And the Vatican actually reaches out to him. He's like, Hey, can you help help us get our books in order? And he tells the priest, like, hey, I'm going to go head over to the Vatican and help them out with their books. And the priest's like, hey, you know what? Let's get you in the church before you go. Let's just do it. I think you're ready. He's like, nah, we'll do it when I get back. And the priest tries to push him. He's like, nah, nah, we'll do it when I get back. And the priest is like, great. I lost him. He's going to go to the Vatican. He's going to see that cesspool. And he's never going to be Catholic. <laughs> and the guy, he's like, it's over. And the guy comes back. He's like, I'm ready to be Catholic. He's like, whoa, what happened? Didn't you go to the Vatican? He's like, yeah, I, I did. He's like, well, you still want to be Catholic? He's like, listen, I saw all those books. He's like, if any other company ran their ran themselves like that, they wouldn't last 20 minutes, let alone 2,000 years. I'm ready to be Catholic. Oh, my God. That is perfect. That is... Um... <laughs> that, that, that is hilarious. And I mean, uh, with, with, with like, you know, my, my, my journey through Protestantism, like, you know, I, I still find myself finding certain moments where I think it's like my Catholic side jumps out because it's like, you know, my, my fiance's family, like they're big Calvinists. And like, I look at like John Calvin, he was the, you know, the dude behind like predestination and everything. And I'm like, that dude's probably in hell. Like he's, he, he was a dick to a lot of people and he just made a lot of stuff up. That's just not like, it's not there. I don't believe that at all at least how he came about it. And it's like, you can't say that. And that's like, well, he's not an apostle or something. It's like, well, he was close to it. And I'm like, but by, by, like, who said that? Like, who said that though? Like nobody really actually likes him. Like he was not a likable person. And then that, that leads to the a purgatory guy. He, yeah. He's, he's just there. <laughs> just, let's just put him there. For for God, Cause I know. Um, I don't know, but to the other point, um, I, I'd like Logan to chime in on this too. We kind of hit on it earlier. I'm just curious too, Remzo, as you church hop. I read somewhere, although Christian denominations are bleeding like members, like we're all declining. But if you would isolate who's bleeding less, or they say out of you look at who's joining each denomination, the three that are getting the most new members are Anglican, Orthodox, and Roman Catholic, like the three that are most liturgical or have the most tradition. So there's Especially among, and this might have been among millennials. I have to go. Maybe it was just among millennials. That, um, that was done by the New York Times. What they did was they took a survey from 2000, 2006, and 2016. And okay. then what they did was they did a rush survey during the pandemic. And what they saw was that that had been consistent for over the last 20 years. I mean, okay. That makes sense though, right? Like if you're going to join a Christian denomination, you're not going to join like Pentecostal or Latter-day Saints or something. You're going to join one of the big ones, one of the ones that's been around forever and has the longest traditions. But I mean, some of the, the or like Lutherans have been around them forever. I mean, the Methodists aren't exactly you no know, spring chickens. I mean, the, those are two actually pretty traditional ones as well. They have their own liturgy. So maybe that's not a good example. But I feel that there's a longing for tradition, ritual, 
which Logan, you're kind of, you have that as well in your own uh, spirituality. There's, it's not just a loose, I'm spiritual. It's I'm doing something very deliberate and ritual. And I, does that give yeah. order? Is that what people are looking for? Some kind of order? Or I connect? think so. And like the way I think about it is like, it's like walking through a field, you know? And if you walk the same path, other people have walked before you, you create this groove and you create this path that is there and, and create something permanent and meaningful. Whereas if everybody just wanders, they're completely different ways. You just have an overgrown field. And I kind of think of like creating a groove in time by repeating the same rituals that were, have been done by your ancestors for thousands of years. And that's, that's a beautiful thought to me. I really like that. And so, I, and I do think that, I don't know. There just seems to be a, a great spiritual hunger in the country right now. Everybody seems to be kind of reaching out for something. And maybe it's because we've become so prosperous that like we don't have to worry about starving to death. So we got to find some kind of deeper meaning in now. I don't know what it is, but I, I definitely have observed it. I think it's there. I, I think to answer your your question, Mike, in kind of like a different way. I mean, this is why like I've I've never been like firm on like the Baptist denomination. It's like why I've always drifted towards the high church, which is why for me, it's like before the United Methodist church was just like, you know, God is a woman and all these things. And I'm just like, you guys have lost your shit. Um, you know, for, for me, it was at least, you know, they, they, they have, they had very set stances on certain things. They had a certain degree of tradition that you had to understand in order to speak the common language. And it's like why in, in the Methodist church, um, you know, the ministers and the reverends are not around their congregation for more than, I think it's like three, four years. They rotate them very intentionally and they do it deliberately because they never want a congregation to get too attached to a single personality. And, and that's why a lot of people I know who I graduated from liberal with who were almost always Southern Baptists, um, the ones that did leave the Protestant mindset and go towards, you know, some type of Orthodox church, they always did so because they felt that their congregations or at least something about their community, it was almost always too personality focused. That's why whenever you have some type of like television preacher who like, you know, cheats on his wife or like buys a helicopter or something, you have a whole bunch of people leave. It's because it was less about them and the faith and it was more about the faith in the person. Yeah, that's probably why. I mean, maybe that's with Catholics, we can have these atrocities and within this church, but, you know, and we still bleed out members, but we're still, we still kind of survive through it because it's never about. Well, when, when you guys go after sure. somebody who has done something wrong and, I mean, you the, know, the we, sex abuse scandal has been plaguing us for now 10, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but what, one thing I've noticed about that, and maybe I'm wrong, you guys always go after the individual person. You never talk about the institution when bat, when something goes wrong in like a Baptist congregation or something, they're like, we got to burn this whole mother down. Like the whole thing is rotten. And it's like, you know, if you do that, you're also taking down a lot of good that was completely separate from that. Very Jacobin French revolution yeah. there. Well, yeah. although we do have that in the Catholic church, I went to a very Catholic school and um, very all the, I mean, we got an average of a thousand kids attend mass daily. I had a girl once accuse me. All right. She was like, Oh, you're a Sunday only Catholic. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, where I come from, you know, you have the priesters, Christmas and Easter only people. I was, I was pretty good going every Sunday. Now I'm here. And it's like, Oh, we only go on Sundays, but we've had a few, we had probably 30, 40, some Franciscan TORs monks that lived on campus. Really awesome guys. A few of them have gotten accused of some pretty, had nowhere close to what you've seen in some other places, but some sexual abuse and some stuff with some of the young women on campus, just like one or two. But some of these like 
SJW people that came out of the school, all their like blogging that I've seen is like burn the whole school to the ground. I'm like, what is wrong with you? It's one sick priest. He needs to go to jail, goes to prison. It's like, but you want to take out all the good that's come out of this. The school has created marriages, families, other young men have joined, have become priests and are going to be, you know, impactful and good, holy men their whole life. And well, just destroy it all. Like, I don't I do not understand the burn it down Jacobin mentality. Well, I mean, I think for them, it always leads to like the one thing is that they're always like playing church or they're playing religion as, as a replacement for a personality. And I, you know, that, that might sound like I'm making a joke out of it, but that's just something that at least for me, I've seen, because when you always jump down into like, you know, deeper arguments about what they believe, why they believe it and whether or not they actually stand by it, it it always goes back to the fact that they're extremely materialistic and that at the end of the day, the only things that to them matter are what you're doing right now in the moment when that happens is almost like a public declaration. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I used to have a problem too on our campus. We, I always called them as like the pocket rosary kids. These kids walk around like visually trying to display the rosary kind of dangling out of their pocket. And if anyone doesn't know the rosary is like Catholic prayers that we do. I actually brought mine because it has, we're on video for the listeners, the skull, little memento mori, but they would always visibly display that they had it in their pocket. And I used to just couldn't stand those kids. But then five years out of the road, those are the first kids to get divorced. I was like, it was fake spirituality. <laughs> Life got hard and they buckled. And, so and I got a question yeah, for yeah, you go guys that kind of get us a little bit back, back on yeah. the uh, afterlife track. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, we went all over it. religion. Bring us no, back. No, it's fine. Well, the, it's, it relates to my question because it's something I've always wondered is like, why do people conflate the idea of God and the afterlife? And I get it if you're coming from the Bible because obviously it talks about both. But people act like if there's a God, there must be an afterlife. And if there's an afterlife, there must be a God. And I can easily imagine a universe in which there's an afterlife with no God. And I can easily imagine a universe in which there's a God with no afterlife. And it always seems strange to me that people bundle these things together like they imply each other. And I don't think they logically do. Explain how to you there could be, let's start with the easier one. I think the easier one would be, well, no, I think the easiest one is no God, a God and no afterlife. Like, sure, I can get that. Like, just a a dick God who's like, F you people. Uh, You're like a cat. You're like a cat cat or a horse. I don't give a crap. I just made you for my shits and giggles. So I get that exactly. one. The, the, the harder one is how is there an afterlife with no God? Well, there could be, you know, souls for lack of a better word, uh, a material part of your body that survives bodily death without any kind of organizing intelligence, creating those things or directing them. How, how can there be something non-material created from by nothing? How can there be something material created from nothing? I mean, it's, I don't think it's a leap at it's, all. If you're capable of being an atheist and believing that the body exists from just purely natural processes, then why couldn't an atheist also believe that the body could have a non-material component that could live on after bodily death? I mean, we believe in energy. We believe in dark matter. Like, no one's ever seen dark matter. Like, uh, I don't see that that's a leap at all. I, I, I think... I, I get where you're coming from and veer me off if I'm not hitting the target on this one. But I mean, I think it ultimately just comes down to a doctrinal stance. Yeah. For, for Islam, you have to follow the five paths and you're going to have your, your sins and your actions weighted to see whether or not you can spend eternity with Allah. And then with Buddhists, you know, the afterlife and the material world are one in the same which is why once you go through the eight cycled process and you've reached the point of, you know, 
pure enlightenment, that's when you become just really a, a an immaterial entity and part of the universe. And so then you're going to keep trying to come back in some way for that. I think it always just comes down to the doctrine. So I think it's less of a, why is that not, you know, what, why do those things always have to be mutually exclusive? I, I think the better question is, why do why does every religious system throughout the world that believes that the material and the spiritual are separate always have at least a greater entity and an afterlife mutually exclusive? And yeah, I think it's be, I think it's because at least you know for for me, I think that every every person in the world at the beginning of humanity knew the truth. And we went off and did different things. Why we why we did different things? I don't know. I mean, it could be like a Tower of Babel situation where God just confused the languages. But with that said, it always comes back to the same thing. It's like flood uh, flood theory, which comes from creationism. When you go through like the historical timeline of Earth, if you're going through a young a young Earth creationist standpoint, like what well, I believe that the world is only around 10,000 years old, and it is a literal interpretation of, you know, the, the seven days of creation and everything else. You know, there, there's this, uh, there's this archaeologist who's a, who was a, he was a Southern preacher, but he was also an archaeologist, and he went to, like, this far region of uh, Mongolia, and what they found was this really old tribe that goes to, like, the very early time in China's history where that whole area was only, like, a few, you know, tribes that were constantly migrating and what they saw was that uh in stones that they were actually like writing and carving stories into this this tribe which is now in modern day mongolia had at one point thousands of years ago written a story about a man who had been warned about a flood and they got one of each animal onto an ark and they survived the ark for 40 days and then they came out after the flood was over so what we basically know now, if we're going through an evolutionary timeline, is that people in that part of Asia knew about Christianity before, or at least knew about the existence of God in that specific story before Christianity or Judaism or any of those type of biblical religions are introduced to that part of Asia, which means at some point they knew, and at some point they stopped telling it. To show you what a nerd I am about this kind of stuff, I was thinking about the nature of God and how like all the monotheistic religions consider God to be have four qualities essentially: created the universe, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnibenevolent or all loving. And to me, that's a big assumption to assume all four of those things. Those things don't have to go to each other, don't go together. Um, so I made a grid one time of the 16 possible gods you can imagine by mixing and matching those things. You could have a God who created the universe and is omnipotent, but isn't omniscient and isn't omnibenevolent. And there's like all there's 16 different possibilities you can do if you, if you map it all out. And it's just like, it's amazing to me that, you know, only one of those has ever really thought about or worshiped. If you don't count like the Gnostic idea of the Demiurge, the creator, the God, who's a blind idiot God, who's not really the real God. But like the other ones are never talked about. And it's like there's so many other possibilities that would be interesting to imagine and think about that I find that fascinating. So do you believe that – is your belief whether or not you believe in after, afterlife or not for you, is it tied to whether or not a god exists? No, not really. 
Um, I definitely am not a materialist. I, I believe that there is more to the universe than the material, than matter, and then the physical realm. Um, but I don't really have a strong belief about the existence of a God. I think that, like I said, I'm more of a pantheist where I think that divine energy is flows throughout everything and is not personalized in the, what could be considered a personality or a mind. Um, but I don't really have a strong belief about an afterlife, but I guess if I had to pick one, I'd think it's something closer to reincarnation where the immaterial part of your body, what can be called the mind or the soul or the personality or whatever you want to call it will move on in some way. And I don't even know whether that's meaningful because if you don't remember it, is it, is it meaningful at all? If you just, if you're reincarnated, but you don't remember being reincarnated, does that even matter? I don't really know, but I know there have been lots of stories about children who have been born, who have like crazy memories of uh, people who have died, who they, sh they really shouldn't be able to remember those things, which seems to lend some evidence to the theory of reincarnation, but I don't know. Hmm. Coming back to your first statement, I, I guess I kind of, yeah, the leap of faith, I guess the, the atheist leap of faith or pagan agnostic or whatever that says, you know, the earth, the universe sprung out of nothing and possibly there's a spiritual matter that came out of that, I guess, because one of the mysteries of faith of Christianity is God has always been. So eventually you get, it's just a, a mystery, meaning we cannot explain it. It's inexplainable. No, God came from nothing and he always was. Well, I think that's uh, true. Whatever, whatever kind of conception you have of the creation of the universe, whether it's the purely materialistic one or not, or a God-based one, like it's going to be, it's, it's inexplicable regardless of what conception you have. None of them make any sense. Yeah. So then Shannon's like, well, this has always been, it's a mystery of faith. There, there's several of those in Catholic doctrine, which is we get, you get to a certain point. It's just a mystery of faith. Um, the Trinity is a mystery of faith, you know, three and one. That's another example of how, uh, how Catholics are shockingly close to pagans. you got, you know, you say you're monotheistic, but you got that Trinity. It's very close to polytheism. I know you don't three like and no, three no, and one. Three and one. You don't like to it's admit one, it, but it's close. But in three things, you're just a couple of steps away. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying it's identical, but it's a couple steps away. Three and one, three individuals, but one person, it's a mystery. I cannot explain it. So, gentlemen, we're, we're pushing close on an hour. There are a few things I kind of want to throw out before we wrap things up. Um, to, to kind of veer us back on the original topic, Mike, you're the only one of us which is a father. My question is, have you had the conversation about death with your sons? If so, how did it go? If not, when do you plan on doing that and how? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it certainly has come up. My oldest being only four, and you're like, that's kind of a heavy thing for a kid to handle, but it's impossible. He certainly has noticed it, right? Whether that's the bug that he has decided to befriend that accidentally gets squashed as he tries to lead it somewhere, and he wants to know what the hell's going on with the bug. Bug's dead, son. Or, you know, whether it's roadkill, we did go to, I had a a family member passed away that I wasn't very close with. There was an open casket. Didn't get any questions at that one. I thought I'd for sure be like, what's That's going on, Dad? Um, but so I was kind of prepping a little bit. So I'm kind of letting it come naturally a little bit. Um, we haven't had any close grand. Like he's got my three kids. They have great grandparents that are very elderly um, that are still very healthy, though. So um, hopefully they'll be with us for a while, but you know, these are certain things that it's, I'm just letting it come up, but he certainly has noticed like, and he does know, you know, we passed on already our faith. So he understands when you die, you go live with Jesus. That's about as far as we've taken it. Oh, where is he? Oh, he's living with Jesus. Um, I'll just kind of let it slowly as he can handle more and more to let him just naturally ask me the questions as they come up. 
or that, question. Like that's a pretty crappy answer. Lives with Jesus, God, Dad. He might call me God now. <laughs> <laughs> what you know that that that's the amazing thing, and maybe it's because I'm getting older. But there's like a certain beauty I'm starting to see in parenting now that I didn't really recognize prior. It must be a crazy thing to look at like a young human you've created and begin to see them go through like these big existential str- steps. Like that must be like, Oh no, he's like, he's discovering what death is. But at the same time, it's like, Oh my gosh, now he's starting to understand the concept of death. Yeah. The weird one too, is we tell, I've told like the two boys, Patrick and Jack, like God made everything. Well, they've taken that really far. Cause I didn't mean everything. The other day, Jack asked, how did God make the door? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> God did not make the door. Man made the door. God gave people, Jack, some awesome skills. Wood came out, comes out of the ground. Like we kind of, he lets us take things and make it. But I was like, I don't think the three year olds get this. But appreciate the question. Uh, <laughs> I think he well, just ignored me. Well, I mean, that, that, that must, that, that's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. Um, you know, gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for indulging me in this. Logan, you have a new book coming out. I certainly do, Rimzo. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, my new book is called Conform or Be Cast Out, The Literal Demonization of Nonconformists. It is coming out on December 1st from Moon Books. And the theme of the book is a history of weirdos and oddballs and misfits who have not only been attacked for their beliefs, but who have been identified with the devil, with witches, with uh, some kind of demonic power and persecuted in that way because they stood out and did things weird. You don't have to be a pagan to enjoy the book. You, it does have a few pagan ideas in there, but it's basically just about the history of weirdos and how people like Mike have persecuted them over the years. Not afraid of a few burning a few folks at the stake. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to tune into your podcast, how could they do so? Mike, you answer that. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We are a podcast that Logan and I host it's called last call and we're on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Um, we, or try to get them out weekly. Um, every once in a while, we skip a week here and there with travels because Logan is all over the place sometimes. And every once in a while, I get to tag along. But yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, I'm going to go ahead and include everything in the show notes. Thank you both so much for coming on. Folks, before you go ahead and tune out, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, wherever you listen to shows like this across Al Gore's amazing internet, it costs you nothing more than a couple seconds. So really, the next time you go and take a shit or something, pull out your phone, give your old buddy Remso a five-star rating and review, and we'll both be copacetic. As always, I'll be back later in the week. Thank you again to all of you, the listeners at home, those who support the We Are Libertarians Network on Patreon at wallplus.com. Uh, be good, be safe, and I'll talk to you later. Peace.